Tuesday night edition of the show. Got a little bit of a smorgasbord for you. I think that sounds more appealing than hodgepodge. Going to talk about Jazz Spurs, two teams that have been a little bit below expectation. Then we got a, a few mailbag questions to get into. And then finally, catch up on some news, including the latest on Markel Fultz, which uh, I know you guys are all not tired of hearing about at all. So let's start with this Jazz Spurs game. Absolute destruction by the Jazz, sending San Antonio to their third 30-point loss in the last four games. And that's pretty insane. Yeah, and I, I saw a crazy stat that Pop had had five in his coaching career before this. Wow. And, and the Spurs just can't stop anybody. They gave up a buck 39 to the Jazz in this game. They were down 16 at halftime, but it wasn't really that close. And the Jazz put up another 41 points in the third quarter to really put it out of reach. It was overall just a, a great performance from the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell, one of his most efficient performances of the season, maybe his most efficient performance of the season with 20 points on 14 shooting possessions. Ricky Rubio has continued his strong play over the last 10 games or so uh, with 12 and 7 in 29 minutes. And Rudy Gobert, 18 points on 12 shooting possessions, four assists, three blocks, and was plus 30 for the Jazz. But I, I think I really want to talk a little bit more about the Spurs and just like why their defense is so bad right now. I mean, it doesn't help that they're getting so little true big kind of like even 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 when the Spurs played LaMarcus at center last year I think those lineups felt bigger to me than the ones they're doing now I mean they're playing Gay and Bertans next to Aldridge Bertans an intriguing player but doesn't really provide a ton of rim protection then they don't have Gasol on the bench coming off the bench right now they have Jakob Pertl and I like Jakob Pertl I think he, he's a good player but that's a part of it but I think the bigger element for me is that their perimeter defense isn't nearly as good as it was so they can't patch up the mistake and there are more mistakes to patch up yeah and DeMar DeRozan is leading the charge now he's never been a good defender we've always been very clear on that but he's completely miscast and he had to guard has to guard the best perimeter player on the other team right now I mean he he had the additional matchup on Donovan Mitchell and that did not go well to say the least I mean just even in the part of this game that I watched I mean I, I turned it off after the Jazz went up 20 but he probably gave up just like seven or eight just clear mistakes or like absolute straight line blow buys you know plays where it's a pick and roll and he just falls down when the screen is set or tries to close out never gets in a stance you know and he's kind of he's kind of like fake hustle closing out you know he's just running at the guy to be like hey i ran the guy off the line but never really making an effort to like break down get in a stance and slide with them afterwards on the drive i mean jay crowder joe ingles i mean these are guys who are not fast guys just blowing past him in a straight line uh he gambled for a terrible steal and transition and gave up a wide open three to ingles uh, pretty early in the game um so i mean that's the guy you're putting on the best uh, wing threat uh, on the opposing team at least in this game and your other options there are Rudy Gay and Davis Bertans. They started, they played Gay actually on Derek Favors when the Jazz went to their starting lineup. And so they had Bertans trying to stick with Joe Ingles on pick and roll. I mean, Joe Ingles runs a ton of pick and rolls and like that's Bertans, a converted power forward is who you're expecting to like get over a screen in conventional pick and roll defense. I mean, it's so obvious that, that that's just not going to work at all. But they don't have really, I mean, what other personnel do they have? At this? I mean, Dante Cunningham is a, a total cipher offensively and he's even a converted power for it he's not great at getting over screens himself and pondexter is not ready i don't know if he'll ever you know be that guy again there was that that wonderful stretch when he was on the pels before he got hurt the last not the last time second last time and 
I was thinking at moments during this about what DeJounte Murray is going to help and what he's not going to be able to fix. Because I I do think that he will make a major difference, assuming the Spurs, which they don't have to, if they keep things largely similar from a personnel perspective, he'll definitely, you know, blunting the pointed spear will help. But you can't, you could throw him on Donovan Mitchell, but you can't throw him on more of the, you know, six foot eight type guys. And if you, if you have him doing that, then who in the world is guarding the other team's point guard? Yeah, he's definitely too skinny to guard some of those uh, bigger threats. And, you know, especially coming off the ACL tear, it's very rare that guys coming off an ACL tear shoot it well. He'd made some strides, but I think you're, the chances of him being a passable three point shooter next year are, are pretty low. I mean, we talked about this on our Patreon mailbag. You can subscribe there at Patreon patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue that you know really no matter what happens this year this team is probably going to be largely the same you know there you'd think that Pirtle and DeRozan and LaMarcus and Patty Mills that these guys are still going to be around and maybe the absence of Murray will give them an excuse but it it seemed like this was always going to be a two-year experiment anyway but if the Spurs don't make the playoffs and you know they're not out of it yet I'm not willing to totally write them out of it yet but as of now 538 gives them a two percent chance of making the playoffs and projects them for 33 wins like that's that is really bad there's projecting them for 12th in the western conference right now tied with the mavericks that is really really rough and certainly having lost you know having like a negative 80 point differential over their last four games <laughs> probably doesn't help that too much uh but you know good teams don't get blown out like this and they don't have like this is their team like they don't have like so many guys coming back. I mean, yeah, Gasol is out, but they're less injured than probably the average team is right now. Frankly, uh, I mean, when you can when you compare them to the best that they can be this season, obviously Murray being out, we can't. We're just talking about what they're going to play like the rest of the season here. So I'll ask you a question. They had an offensive explosion in this game. Do you feel better about Utah's offense, or is this more just what happens when you play this iteration of the Spurs? Well, I do feel better about Utah's offense, but more just because they got Corver. I liked what they were doing with him. Most of the after-timeout plays when he was in the game were for him. He had a ridiculous uh, four-point play. By the way, did, do you want to tell us about that one, the, the Bellinelli play with Corver's, on Corver's three? That was just oh, insane. God. You, the... The truly spectacular committing a foul on a three-point shooter when you are already on the ground type of play? Oh, he, God. He tried to, like, flop coming off the screen, and then he just managed to, like, roll himself right in, right underneath Gorford as he was shooting. It was it was not good. And for Utah, I like their bench units a lot more now. They're going more with Mitchell at backup point guard. Exum is out of the rotation. They're basically replacing Exum with Corver. And so Corver just running off of screens. The Jazz have good screen setters on this team. Quinn Snyder is going to do a good job of using him, getting him three-pointers, going to his right. And so I, I do think that's going to help the offense. And then against second units, Corver, I don't want to call him a quality defender, but he's solid. You know, he, he still, I and mean, we've talked about this before, that you can just by being in the right spot, even as one of the most unathletic guys in the league at this point, you can impact the other team's drives. Uh, Corver did that a couple of times in the second quarter where he stepped in off of a guys who are pretty good shooters, like uh, Bellinelli who's guarding most of the time and was able to force misses. Um, so no, I mean, I, I, this helps, you know, Utah beating a team that they should beat at home. The schedule is now much easier for them going forward. They really haven't had any automatic wins and so to take care of business like this is certainly encouraging uh, but it's really more about the trade and just the fact that I had faith in them to begin with. Yeah, I was just looking at San Antonio's upcoming schedule wondering if they will have more of these 30 pointers and they play the Lakers 
home and home, then the Jazz again. But that one's in San Antonio. So they might be clean, but who, and they played the Lakers well over the last few years. They, and remember that crazy game where San Antonio beat the Lakers in overtime this year, early on in the year. So maybe they're, they're in the clear in terms of 30 point losses, but I don't know. Considering the way they're defending, they could give up a bunch of the Lakers. Yeah. And I think that their offense to me, though, is more likely to regress. And the Jazz, it was an interesting matchup against them because, as we know, the Jazz want to take away three pointers and take away shots at the rim, whereas San Antonio doesn't get any of those shots to begin with. And so you might say, oh, well, that means that like San Antonio is going to really be able to take advantage and get open mid rangers. But still, most of their mid rangers uh, during the competitive portion of this game were contested, whether it was DeRozan. I mean, he's just not going to create that much separation. He makes tough shots. I thought Royce O'Neill did a pretty good job uh, on him. Aldridge they were matching up Gobert's minutes with him so he's not really gonna post up on Gobert he's gonna try and do some pick and pop and had some success with that early but it wasn't amazing throughout the competitive portion of the game and and so the Spurs you know only 19 shots at the rim that's a very low number and they took well over 40 twos uh, away from the rim so it's not like the Spurs were able to really take advantage of like you know getting wide open mid-rangers like in pick and pop or something where you know it's like hey we're a great mid-range shooting team you're giving us the shot we're going to kill you on these it was you know more those were still pretty well contested uh because there wasn't maybe as much of a threat from three and at the rim Uh, the other thing i'll note about the spurs too is that they are not a good passing team right now i mean they play two kind of combo guard types not pure point guards uh, in forbes and mills DeRozan has gotten better as a distributor but is never someone who i've been like you know oh man look at all these great passes that he's throwing all the time aldridge never known for for his passing rudy gay uh even less known for his passing and so there are a lot of plays you know i mentioned those two corver plays for example he's guarding bellinelli he's coming completely off bellinelli to step up and take a charge in the lane and no one's even looking that way you know so there are open three-point shooters at times that they're just have not been able to find with this group yeah i mean it sounds like a lot of negative for a team that is only a couple games under 500 but i think what you and i are seeing is some real warning signs for where this might be going well and not only that there are a couple games under 500 but 538 is projecting the ac to have 44 wins right now and then there's also three other teams below that level who are projected as better than the Spurs and are playing better than the Spurs and have better records than the Spurs right now or about the same. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm not optimistic about their chances. Uh, anything else on this one here? Nope, think I'm good. Well, you know what else is good? Not only good, in fact, but great is go this is probably one of the sponsors i've been most excited for because while i'm not a sneakerhead, i do enjoy my sneakers i've got a decent collection now and i was really looking forward to, to adding to it with goat which is the largest marketplace in the world for authentic sneakers your problem if you're buying sneakers online is the shoe you're looking at may be fake and you can be sure that it's real with goat because they accept sellers who have the best reputations and they verify that all sneakers match their exact factory specifications to ensure authenticity i had a call with them as i do with all of our sponsors and we go through a process where i decide whether i'm going to approve the sponsors or not whether i think it's a good product or not and they're telling me about this process they basically have experts who will smell 
these shoes there's a certain smell that a pair of authentic jordans is supposed to have and these people inspect every detail the stitching the color the size they weigh the shoes so you're not going to get a fake by them they have a half a million sneakers on the platform and 10 million users as i went through uh, i ended up getting a pair of reebok kamikazes back to the uh, sean kemp days i should post those on instagram by the way if you if any of you are interested in the mundane details of my life you can follow me on instagram at nate b duncan but this is not an ad for my instagram it is an ad for goat and they really have just about anything that you could want there from a shoe perspective and even a lot of things that i didn't know i didn't wasn't even really aware of the kamikazes before i started scrolling through and i was like those are awesome what are those and then i went back to google and remembered uh, who wore them initially so the way to get started with them, you know how this works. Goat.com, G-O-A-T.com slash Capspace. Ezeromo slash Capspace. We talk about them all the time on the program. Go to Goat.com slash Capspace and let them know with that slash Capspace URL that you came from us. All right, so now let's do uh, a little mailbag here. Break things up. We had some leftover questions from our Patreon mailbag, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. Where do you want to start here? mr larue we'll start with one that i answered briefly in a lightning round but realized that we could give it more substance and it's from francis mock after witnessing the failure of lillard in the playoffs and the somewhat effective playoffs to james harden started wondering if it's better for players who uh, to not rely as much on on foul drawing during the because if you do that during the regular season basically it's not going to hold over into the playoffs and so i answered it solely on the mailbag and i realized your answer and it would be good too yeah i think there's something to it but it depends on how it is necessarily that you're drawing fouls and also whether you're drawing fouls out of just kind of trade craft or you're drawing fouls because you're actually putting the defense in a compromising position if you're talking about Shaq, Shaq got fouled all the time but he probably just got fouled even more in the playoffs right like that was, he was just so big and so huge the only way to deal with him was to foul him if you're talking about a lou williams a, a guy who's commonly cited as falling off a little bit who's very reliant on the free throw line DeRozan you know with his pump fake he's very reliant on the free throw line Harden is a, 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 probably a better player than the not probably is a much better player than the aforementioned two guys but and in terms of having a bunch of moves and having a big body and putting the defense in compromising positions he does that but a lot of it is also the tricks as well the three shot fouls the rip move the Harden where he uh, sticks the ball way out in front of him and goes through guys arms and I think number one the better defenses usually don't don't follow as much number two as we saw the spurs do two years ago in the playoffs against harden where they were trained to keep their arms out of the strike zone if you're a good team you can really lock in on what the tricks are and not fall for them as much when you have a seven game series and you're really just locked in on that one guy lillard i don't put in that category as much because you know he's not just drawing ps fouls I mean, he, he would do the oh i feel some contact i'll throw up a shot and that's a three shot foul thing back in the day but he's really getting to the rim on a lot of these plays drawing fouls like he's just he's quick and he gets when he puts the defense in compromising position so i wouldn't put him as much in that category oh that is a very important part of his efficiency and an underrated part of his game overall so i i think there's a lot to that i would rather have a guy who's just capable of getting great shots and making them as opposed to being reliant on the foul line Although, you know, certainly it's useful to get to the fall line as well. So I think that's my answer is just how is it exactly that he's getting fouled and is it susceptible to just kind of the old tricks and, and stuff that you can take away more easily or is it just the guys blowing by you and getting fouled? Because, you know, if your decision is, hey, we're not going to foul, 
Well, usually, if the the reason the guy's getting fouled is because he's blowing by you and putting you in a compromising position. Well, if you're not going to foul, then you're just going to give up a layup, right? If by not fouling, you just, you know, you t- turn into a normal possession, then yeah, that's a problem. But if it's a play where, okay, we're not going to foul, well, now we just gave up a layup because we didn't foul in this situation. Well, now it's a, a much different animal. Yeah. And the only other thing I'll add briefly is just that the change in personnel also makes it a lot harder because there are guys that can get in good position and don't have to foul those guys are concentrated on good teams because they make good teams good andrew carr says is the shift towards offense over defense a structural change in the way the game is played or simply a moment of offensive ascendancy that will be countered by defensive innovations in the future does defense still win championships and if not should the nba look to rule changes to restore the balance well, I'll take the last part of it first. They're not going to do that. They actually went to another rule change that favored the offense more with cutting out kind of the clutching and grabbing. And I don't think they should. The league is a, as popular as ever. It's more of a skill-based game than ever. And sort of the thuggery and the flagrant fouls and grind you into the dust and post up and run the shot clock down. Like, you know, that's not as aesthetically pleasing as what we're seeing today. So I don't think they should do it. Uh, but what do you think about the first part of his question? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Haberstroh and I talked about this on Real Jam Radio a few weeks ago, and I think that the the biggest shift is not really a structure. Well, there are structural ones in terms of the way the game is played just because shots are being valued differently, but I think a lot of it is about personnel because now those guys that are defense only are being marginalized. I mean, we can you can see it all over the league, and I mean, a series that I consider a touchdown, maybe it's because I was around it more closely, but the way the Warriors defended Tony Allen in the later parts of that Memphis series in 2015, basically treating him as a non-factor, guarding him with Bogut so Bogut could be the help defender and all that, you know, that that's becoming more commonplace now. And so when you take those guys off the floor, A, you're getting better offensive players, but you're also getting worse defensive players. So the big issue in terms of the countering with defensive innovation, I think the big shortcoming there is just the supply of guys that are athletically versatile enough to switch, but also offensively capable enough to actually be on the floor. Now, could we, through player development and coaching and and all of that over the next 10 years or so, get to a point where a a larger proportion of basketball players at that height have those offensive skills and thus the defensive ones can survive? Yeah, I think it could be there, but it is going to take some time. And then the other thing is, just like anything else, there are so many incentives to innovate that we will we will see those, but there are incentives to innovate on offense too. So it's it's an arms race, and to me, it feels like an arms race that at least for the the near term, the offense is going to keep winning. Yeah, I think that was all really well said, and I, I've talked about this before, but I think really going back to zone being implemented and it's taken 20 years really to get to this point and there you know there are a million factors you could put to but one of them is with zone defense being allowed now you don't need necessarily that one guy who's just so amazing to stop the other guy one-on-one because you can shade over you don't have to just do a hard double team uh and then you also didn't need to just have a guy guarding someone who didn't have skills right and so between the ability to hide worse individual defenders and it being harder to hide worse offensive players to the point where now I would say it's harder to hide a bad offensive player than a bad defensive player. So I, I think that's been a big part of the, the trend to just play more players, smaller players. Obviously shooting way more threes. You just need guys with more mobility now who 
are shorter who can get out to the three-point line against some of the best teams that's huge as well and usually shorter guys are better offensive players and you have to guard them at the three-point line and so you get a little bit of a feedback loop there and something that ben taylor would tell you is that the rules have kind of continued to be relaxed in terms of like what's a travel what's a carry that kind of stuff and guys are coming up it's just simply easier to come up with good offensive moves and new offensive moves than it is to come up with new defensive moves there aren't really defensive moves you know there's pulling the chair but other than that it's just kind of like all right we're gonna slide our feet and do the best we can we'll try and take charges you know that was i think the rise of the charge is one thing that led to you know the big defensive thrust in the 90s but there just isn't as much as you can do as much to do defensively in terms of innovating schematically maybe you can do more i do think that there are more teams who should do that stuff and there are some defensive innovations that are out there to be made and maybe that's going to more zone and i think teams will start trying more stuff just with this being such a an offensive league at this point but no i think it's we're going to continue in that direction and the idea does defense still win championships well we've talked about this that every team that has won a championship basically since lebron went to miami has been an awesome offensive team right i mean it used to be you would have like the 08 celtics who were you know the number one defense but eh, you know 10th in offense you know uh not unbelievable there a team like the 04 pistons you know teams that were better on defense than offense but it really is and this is another thing we've talked about too is you've now got these offenses that are so good that you really only can start to slow them down uh you can't stop them with conventional pick and roll defense anymore because there's just either too much shooting you know with lebron and a bunch of shooters or Kyrie's iso ability or with the warriors kd stuff where if you play conventional pick and roll defense again like you're just going to give up open three and you're going to lose the game you know so you have to be able to switch and there's just so few teams that can do that at a really high level especially and also be a really good offensive team at the same time and so there's a these turbocharged offensive teams these you know best three four five offenses in the league generally that can't be stopped by conventional pick and roll defense and a lot of times even with a conventional center on the floor that's just such a big difference making thing in terms of the scheme offensively that you're not really going to have something that's that big where you're just playing a completely different game uh defensively i mean i think we saw that some with the warriors switching but there's just it's really hard to get the personnel to do that and you know again those are bad offenses that were getting shut down so i I think ultimately it's gonna be offense from here on out and that off moreover just if you look at the best offensive teams in whether it's in terms of like rpm for their best players or the best offensive teams you know just how high they are above average compared to the best defensive teams it's just more extreme so no i think all those things i said i mean i know that was a really long-winded answer you know i probably said about 10 things there but that's how many factors there are and i do believe that uh we're just going to continue to see offense going forward here one other point i want to make which is along the lines of many of the things that you said is Maybe the analogy is to going back. I went to college during the era of fighting all the the music piraters. And one of the challenges there was always that the anti-piracy forces had to always react to what the pirates did first. You know, it's always a counterpunch because that's just the way the business works. And I feel like in certain degrees, that's what it is defensively. The defense has to counter what the offense is doing. And thus the innovator will always have the advantage because they can start working on something else while the other side is developing the counter. Oh, so I I have a question for you, which is not an original question of mine. It was actually one we got during last week's NBA cast 
which the NBA cast will return on Wednesday for Raptors Sixers, for those of you who want to watch the game with Nate and yours truly, as opposed to whoever's announcing it. And that question was something I hadn't really thought about now that it doesn't factor as much into playoff seating, but how many wins is it going to take to get the division crown in the Southeast? <laughs> you told me that you had a question for me before recording. I was like, oh man, this is going to be like a, a, a really difficult one here. All right. So for those of you who have probably forgotten, because it is a, the least exciting division in the NBA probably at, at this point, the Southeast division consists of the Hawks, Wizards, Hornets, Heat, and Magic. And as of now, I'm sure we can throw the Hawks out as being uh, the best team there. Now, nobody else in that division is really atrocious. I I think it'll be over 500. I mean, I think you'll just see between the Hornets, Wizards, Heat, and Magic, somebody's going to heat up enough, you know, to get to like 43 or 44 wins. Even if none of them individually project to be above 500 right now, uh, which is uh, what 538 has. Uh, 40 and 42 is the best record uh, among those 14. I will chime in that unfortunately, it doesn't look like due to the teams that are really in the dregs that we can have an opportunity for all five teams in the same division to to miss the playoffs i believe then i don't even know what the rule is at that point currently in the league of like theoretically if none of the five teams in the division yeah, are i among don't the eighth think best, it's possible teams- for all uh, I, i've thankfully that the effective division winners since they've minimized it now is receded to the nether regions of my brain and hopefully i will never have to recall it but i do think i remember hearing that it's if you do get into something that extreme that at least one team from every division has to make the playoffs but the idea of like raising the southeast that would be the would that be the worst way to miss the playoffs and like and then the next year it's like like the hornets like they're they're so sad zach they would just raise the banner even if they missed the playoffs for the southeast division the next year oh god yeah oh man but i love that question because because there's a chance it's under 500 i don't expect it as you said you know there are four teams that are kind of in that mix and variants will probably push one of them over if they're healthy if they play well and i don't know who it's going to be but it'll probably be somebody well, you mentioned the Southeast Division, and uh, some of those teams are not doing so hot uh, financially. In the tax, near the tax, the Wizards, the Heat, not that good of teams. But unfortunately, they cannot get more salary cap space through Lending Club. Fortunately, you can't, whether it's unexpected repairs, medical expenses, credit card debt. A little money can make a big difference. You can get it at LendingClub.com. They give you access to low rates on loans of up to $40,000 for almost any purpose. It's a lot easier than going to a bank, for sure, and it offers lower rates than high-interest credit cards. Go to LendingClub.com, enter the amount you need, and you see in minutes if you're approved. You pick the offer that's right for you, and the money can be in your account just days later. They've been at it now for more than 10 years, helping millions of people with over $31 billion in loans. So take charge of your finances today with Lending Club. Go to LendingClub.com slash CapSpace to check your rate for free. It won't impact your credit score to simply check your rate. That's LendingClub.com slash CapSpace. Once again, LendingClub.com slash CapSpace. All loans made by WebBank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. All right, let's start now with the news that Markel Fultz finally has a, a diagnosis, at least this year. You'll recall it was a scapular muscle imbalance last year. The new diagnosis after meeting with a number of specialists is an ailment normally seen among pitchers in baseball, neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. And I'll do my best to explain it in streetclothes.com. Jeff Stott's great site has a much more thorough breakdown. 
but the thoracic outlet region is formed by the first rib, the collarbone, and the muscles around there. And so basically, it's kind of a small tunnel through which uh, arteries and veins and nerves run. And so because it's so small, there's a potential uh, for impingement of the nerves there. And that is apparently what faults has been diagnosed with. And some of the symptoms can be weakened grip strength, headaches, fatigue of the arm and uh even if it's been going on for a while muscle atrophy and diminished uh, fine motor skills so the prescription is three to six weeks of physical therapy he's going to try to avoid surgery he's going to go out to la for that and this hopefully he can avoid surgery because uh from the ones that i've read about uh, in baseball that actually involves taking out the first rib surgically which uh hey, who, who would have known you don't need your first rib uh, and uh that i assume would leave him out for the year if he does have that surgery so i'm a little more hopeful about his situation than i used to be i mean there's always the whispers that oh it's all in his head and stuff and so to actually get some kind of a diagnosis is reasonable and you know you certainly always wanted to believe that he was feeling pain and that there were issues the team seemed like they had kind of stopped making excuses for him finally at this latest juncture where he left the team but uh, i don't know daniel what are your thoughts on this i've rambled for a while here so jeff's piece is very good but the one that i actually got the most out of was a piece that Derek Bodner linked to, and it's on my Twitter as well, from The Athletic, for, because there are four pitchers in the Padres system who have all had different versions of TOS issues. And what made me feel more comfortable about this situation for Fultz is that the way that they described their issues were really par- paralleled it of where they, the people thought it was the shoulder. They went through all these procedures. They thought it was going to fix the problem. It didn't fix the problem. And that there's just, we're trying to figure out what the heck this was. And then somebody kind of thought about this thing and how you basically get there through a process of elimination in sorts. And that doesn't mean this is going to be the, the cure-all for Markel Fultz, especially not the non-surgical option. We don't know about that as well. But I felt better about it because of that idea that the people who have done this, and that's not to say that you know, there are people who've gone through the surgery and it hasn't hasn't revived their career or anything like that, though it has helped some people. The, the piece talks about various levels of success. And that part of it makes me feel better, that it's not just like them trying to find a reason. It could be something that legitimately could not might not have been diagnosed until this point. So like, okay, okay, that feels a little bit better. Going the non-surgical route initially makes sense. And also that timeline of three to six weeks just so happens that even if he's on the late end of that, he would be back in some capacity before the trade deadline philly is in this weird situation because of their cap space and jimmy butler and everything else of like how do they want to approach markel fultz and their cap space in 2019 and so maybe they would like to to have him make a show to say look i'm not broken before the trade deadline that's entirely possible but we'll have to see so yeah i mean overall i i it's better to have a reason than to not have a reason but it's going to take time and i I always thought it was going to take time but well i'm hope i just loved markel fultz i mean we saw him at the hoop summit all that kind of stuff like if there's any chance that that guy comes back i'm just gonna be so excited for it because he was awesome yeah and by all accounts a a really good kid his teammates like him and you know there there was some suggestions uh, in some early reporting i think it was by woge that you know his teammates are growing a little bit more concerned about him just even off the court as well but i mean if you could think about it where hey you're having this pain and you just don't know why and people are calling you mentally weak i mean that's obviously got to wear on you and certainly 
some of the reporting you know that came out with the athletic the athletic.com slash cap space of how you know drew hamlin had this falling out because like Fultz's mom was yelling at him and stuff and you know and all the stuff with his trainer and his agent and kind of not being on the same page and blah blah like that's all troubling back to the diagnosis though one of the things that i thought was very interesting in that piece that you talked about with all the padres pitchers another great athletic article by the way was that the pitchers said this is a diagnosis that you get to when you kind of eliminate everything else i can't remember there was a doctor or, or one of the pitchers who said that but you kind of you eliminate everything else and so i'm not sure exactly what the test is i mean you went to see all these different specialists and they came up with this is there i don't know if there's actually like a test that you can do for this or if it's just kind of like all right we've ruled out everything else it's got to be this and maybe there is a physical issue maybe it is a mental issue that is causing pain for faults i would be surprised if the team and the doctors were all and all these specialists they met with were just like all right we got to protect them we got to come up with like some bullshit story here let's come up with this you know I, it would surprise me if it were that calculated you know i mean i think part of it could just be like all right you know you're having these symptoms you say you're having them and this is the best diagnosis that we can come up with and so we're going to send you to to physical therapy and so maybe there actually is a physical issue and this physical therapy could potentially resolve it and maybe it is simply that you know it is more of a mental issue but having Fultz himself believe that there is a physical issue and that it could be resolved by doing this physical therapy could help him get over it from a mental standpoint as well i mean we know how strong the mind can be sometimes uh i certainly hope that it's just purely a physical issue and do i think like now everything's going to be okay no but i i do think that actually getting a diagnosis here is positive news because so much of this had been utterly unexplained at least having something that seems like it could be an explanation is progress to me while we're on the sixers wilson chandler missed their most recent game but he will return on wednesday which is great because we're doing that game for the against the raptors for the nba cast and so having chandler out there they need they need all the depth they they can muster at this point so excited about that i would say the next most important piece of news mostly because it has made the team completely unwatchable is devin booker so devin booker re-injured his hamstring long-time listeners will know that we often say hamstrings are tricky they continue to be tricky and they got absolutely massacred by the sacramento kings it was 36 to 9 after the first quarter and that was exacerbated by tj warren also missing this game Um, this is one of the last three that he's missed with an ankle issue so the suns are just they're in a bad way right now and i mean you're getting to the point where even if like we've talked about how they played a lot better when they've been healthy you know they're kind of figuring out some of their lineup foibles and all that kind of stuff but the writing is pretty much on the wall at this point that doesn't mean you have to like start tanking right now no absolutely not but they're the only team in the west that's just a mile out of it right now yeah and the miles bridges positive plus minus strain now that he's been in the starting lineup and they've started uh, having some blowout losses again is uh falling apart a little bit and i mean they only lost by 17 but they outscored sacramento by 15 in the fourth quarter in uh extended garbage time and uh, booker with the statement that he's probably gonna miss more games than he did the first time you know i think he was really trying hard to get back because their season was going off the rails but now with the season uh not only off the rails but down the side of the bridge and uh the train is in the gorge and on fire there's no reason whatsoever to rush booker back at this point other than for those who want to watch suns games which we don't want to but we probably will have to still going forward here sacramento in that game marvin bagley missed his second straight uh with back spasms but that's uh two straight wins now for the kings 
without him. We talked in San Antonio about how Pau Gasol had that stress fracture, which was initially, you know, I probably going to say misdiagnosed. They were bringing him back into on-court activity, and then it was he still had more pain, and he got a second opinion. You would hope that the first opinion would discover something like that uh dwight howard we mentioned that he's going to have surgery in the l4 l5 region of his lumbar spine uh, that was causing that piriformis uh, injury he's going to miss two to three months probably it's looking like and then in toronto norm powell you remember he had that shoulder injury he should be back in about a week's time or so it was not really in the rotation before that but he'll give him some more depth as well he'll be competing with cj miles for some of those backup wing minutes uh, what else we got here disappointing news out of oklahoma city andre robertson this happened shortly after we recorded our last episode last week he felt discomfort after landing on a move during his workout and had an avulsion fracture in his left leg. So he will be reevaluated in another six weeks. The Thunder are doing very well defensively and overall without him, but Robertson is still an important part of their best case scenarios to me. And at the time, it was exacerbated because Terrence Ferguson and, and Hamadou Diallo were both still out with their ankle sprains. Terrence Ferguson has since returned to action. Both of those guys are available. Again, Diallo has still has not played in a game after his leg injury. Both those actually occurred against the Warriors within, I think, like a quarter of each other. For Robertson, this is now the third setback that he has had you'll recall he had to have another surgery back and i think it was june then there was a surgery at the start of the season and then this now avulsion fracture the avulsion fracture for those who don't remember is where a little piece of bone that's attached to a ligament detaches from the rest of the bone so it's kind of more similar to a a mild ligament injury so it's a, when you see fracture like oh man that's a big injury you know, it shouldn't be too bad but i mean you know things don't seem to be right in that left knee and he just could continues to have setbacks and it's getting to the point now for me where you know i'd say it's even money he doesn't even play this season or, or if he does that he's not going to be that effective um and i mean you can only imagine how bad his offense is going to be now after missing all this time and, and maybe not having quite the same athleticism as he returns we can move to the warriors we talked a little bit about damian jones that he will undergo surgery he tore his left pectoral in the game against the detroit pistons and he actually it's an uncommon injury for NBA players, but he has actually gone through it before. Jones tore his right pectoral in the pre-draft process, and that basically kept him out for his rookie year. He played a little bit with the G League affiliate, but never played with the big club. And this might have some ripple effects with the team. We don't really know. At this moment, it looks like Kerr is pretty comfortable going with Looney and Jordan Bell, really splitting up the center minutes between the two of them. And then when DeMarcus Cousins gets back, he can get that. They could go for a stopgap center. There are a couple different ways. They still have an open roster spot. They could do so. Maybe this changes Cousins' timeline a little bit. Probably not. And then the other injury stuff for them, Alfonso McKinney should be back pretty soon. Cousins is ramping up his activity and will fully take place in practices. And Draymond is out for the entire rest of the road trip. So he could return Minnesota. They play the first game on when they're back home is on Monday. So about a week from now, but we don't know anything specific then. Yeah. McKinney slated to return as of now on Wednesday night against the Cavaliers. Sam Amick also wrote a nice piece, theathletic.com slash catspace, that the Warriors had a viral meningitis scare in March of last season as they were really going through that, that Steph injury and all the other stuff that there was a staffer who had meningitis. If you're interested on that, I recommend reading the piece because this was what David West Cryptic's comments after the finals related to. And Sam, uh, with much trying, 
trying by many reporters to try and figure out what that meant and speculation he actually answered the question so that was pretty impressive there uh, for denver sounds like will barton will return sometime in the next couple of weeks he's going to get reevaluated this week he started doing some stuff at, at practice but the reps did leave or, or or uh sorry the nuggets did lose gary harris in the raptors game uh with that right groin issue uh he's already been ruled out of their next game uh, he was supposed to get an mri today i have not seen the specific results of that but with him already ruled out so quickly from their next game you have to imagine that it's going to be some time on the shelf for him i mean at least a week or so if not more what else we got here on the nugs isaiah thomas is targeting a mid-december return they've gotten surprisingly effective minutes from monty morris so far but isaiah thomas we'll, we'll see what he brings but another capable player that can go into the mix is is exciting dallas got luka Doncic and maxi kleba back those guys were both out of their win against the clippers but they were back in their win over the portland trailblazers on tuesday night according to joe varden kevin love is targeting a mid-january return i'm not saying this is the reason for it but a mid-january january return would be logical for a player who the team wanted to rehabilitate his trade value before the deadline mm. yeah i mean but with the deadline being earlier this year you know if he has any kind of a setback or if he doesn't look great right away i mean that's uh it's kind of pushing it there if they do want to in fact prove that he's healthy before the trade deadline also in cleveland sam decker has been out for over four weeks now with an ankle sprain i haven't heard anything specific yeah. on when he's coming back his his then, timeline was two to four weeks that's why it's kind of significant that you know you, okay usually, yes yeah, so i'll, on the, I'll put the something like that, that in there I, I probably should put more of a note that basically when a guy has been out for longer than his timeline that kind of makes you raise the eyebrows a little bit this is of course speculation like this by people like me is why teams don't like to release timelines and one that could end up being important Marvin Williams is missing at least three games with a shoulder issue. I, I mentioned what, because at that point, all that happened is he left that game with a sling in a sling. This was on the 15 and 60 that we did. And so now he was going to miss some time. They don't have any cogent replacements there. Yeah. And it looks like Kemba Walker is not going to miss time with an ankle sprain, but there are always risks involved with that. It might be him toughing through it and we might see some results. And he went five for 16 in that loss. So could have even seen it in that game. Yeah. Cody Zeller did practice on Tuesday. He should return with that rib issue. And for Williams, no indication that it's serious. You know, it's being called a strain as of now. So, you know, I don't think he's going to miss extended time, but they, of course, uh, desperately need him. In Brooklyn, Joe Harris has now missed three straight with adductor tightness, which is basically a groin strain, I'm guessing. Uh, but they are kind of missing him. I mean, they're playing him at the three and four. I mean, he really, in their offense, plays as almost more of a four. You know, he'll set screens for guys pop out he's playing mostly a, a stretch four type of role atlanta is going to lose torian prince uh, for at least three weeks with an ankle injury in atlanta given their tanktastic season and just the overall bent of the organization they're going to be extremely conservative you would imagine bringing him back and they are not exactly overflowing uh with nba quality wing players in atlanta should mean some more times for tyler dorsey vince carter maybe they'll play him more uh, at the three maybe we'll see some more jeremy lynn at the two even kent Bazemore could get back into the starting lineup he actually had been demoted and they're starting kevin herter so some some changes uh, there but you know they're not competitive so it doesn't affect too much and then jalen brown missed a few games after uh a tailbone injury uh he practiced on monday he was feeling okay on tuesday so he plans to play on thursday for the celtics in a piece of personnel news the houston rockets waived daniel house 
And this was presumably done so that they convert can convert Gary Clark, who has also been a part of the rotation. These are both guys that do that. And Jonathan Fagan had it that they're expecting to bring House back, but they don't have a roster spot at the moment. So I my brain started churning because the date that is in my head with this is December 15th. And the reason why December 15th is there is because that's the day that they could theoretically trade Carmelo Anthony or Michael Carter Williams because neither of those guys signed using bird rights. And from Houston's perspective, sure, it would be better to tr- it would be better for a couple of reasons to trade those guys because then, you know, in terms of moving their money and maybe that allows them to choose their destination more for one or both those guys. There's no specific reporting that either of those things is going to happen. But it feels more likely because even if like let's say my timeline is right and they can make one of those moves on the 15th itself, they're still missing house for five games between now and then maybe four if they can make these moves quickly enough that he can play on the night of the 15th they have a game i think it's against memphis but they're really losing out because uh, for these couple games from a rotation player on this extremely shallow team and it's probably for this reason yeah and with clark i think he's got 15 days left uh, as of this recording per fagan's piece on that two-way deal so we could see a little bit of a stalemate like we saw with ty wallace last year like the warriors avoided with quinn cook but they did give him a, a second guaranteed year so he may be trying to get some more guaranteed money uh, actually house had gone ahead of clark in the rotation as uh, clark has gone cold from three-point range but once again i mean this is just another situation here where the desire to save money and yeah it certainly helps to save some luxury tax and not have to pay house uh, during this time but it, it certainly was odd with d'antoni talking about how how much he'd really been helping them and he's got size as a three four and uh they like him in their system etc to just oh yeah by the way you're you're being cut now um brandon knight they have assigned him to the g league i don't believe he's played a game down there yet he might just be practicing but uh it's been said in the media that he still has a long way to go so i I wouldn't say that his uh return is necessarily imminent as of now rajon rondo is at the three-week mark of what was originally a four to five week timetable he was just cleared for what is called contact progression which is not full contact but is i guess some contact and as it suspected by the two people who host this podcast the lakers have not lost a step in his absence the pacers nothing new here on victor oladipo mcmillan his policy is generally you got to practice five on five before you return from any time of a, a longer term injury so you have to imagine that he'll be out at least through their back-to-back over the weekend. And in Memphis, Joakim Noah is back in the NBA. He's agreed to a one-year veterans minimum deal with the Grizzles. Uh, what are you looking for here uh, as Noah has been brought in? Whether he can provide any capable, reliable minutes at the five and how that affects Jaron Jackson. I mean, Jaron Jackson has been awesome this year. He's uh, you know been a, a big part of Memphis' success playing power forward. And getting Noah, if he has a successful time, might make Jackson the full-time power forward. I have no opposition to that. It just could change his role a little bit. Last we saw Noah, he had really lost the quickness that had defined him back in his defensive player of the year days. And he also couldn't make free throws, couldn't hit a jump shot, which he had been you know at least semi-capable of doing. So passing and offensive rebounding are really his only skills uh, on the offensive end really probably one of the worst offensive players in the nba but he can help shore up their defense in theory shore up their rebounding it in theory but we'll see you know they've been playing jackson as the center on the second unit those lineups have not been successful i don't think that noah i like the theory but i just don't think that he's going to help them much uh, but i'm hopeful that he can make a comeback and at least uh, be a contributor uh given how quickly his career fell off we should also note that wayne selden's been 
dealing with a left knee issue, but he is it doesn't seem too serious. He should be back pretty soon. They have minutes with Dylan Brooks still out, so hopefully, hopefully he should be able to get those. Marshawn Brooks has been logging even more in his stead. Goran Dragic, he continues his absence. Miami got throttled by the Magic today, 105-90. to 90. Their offense has been tre- pretty atrocious without him. Uh, he did practice in some capacity, apparently, on Monday. The Heat usually obfuscate these injuries uh, more than just about anyone. To that end, Spo was asked about Deion Waiters and said, we don't have an update. Uh, Brian Windorf actually had a good point about this on his pod that if the nba is going to get into the business of gambling they're just going to have to be a little bit more transparent about injuries some teams are admirably so but this whole thing of like oh yeah we can't you know we need a competitive advantage right like we gotta we can't let these guys know if we're playing because or, or know that like if, whether our star is playing so that like they'll prepare for him and then you know it turns out that he's going to be out or or we can't let the warriors know that lebron james has like a hand injury because they're gonna like hit his hand or something or, or they'll know that he can't shoot it and yeah you know what maybe you gain something by that but all teams are are doing it in theory and so if you just outlaw that you'll still see teams try to skirt the lines a little bit we see that in the nfl to some degree but if you just force more transparency in injury reporting ultimately everyone will benefit from that equally no one's going to have an advantage just everyone will have more information on a macro level and then fans and gamblers and, and the rest of us like won't have to deal with this just like faking around and oh hey we, we really want to pretend that this guy's coming back so you'll sell a few more season tickets or whatever like you know that's uh i hate that shit i would love to see some coach respond with the old dan patrick line of listing ev- like listing everyone day to day because we're all day to day yeah and you can't legislate out this type of thing entirely you see it all the time in football but it's and the nba is starting to move this direction now with requiring injury ports to be posted a, on a daily basis at least to determine you know whether guys are going to play or not i think with timetables they could certainly be a little more transparent in milwaukee uh, ursan Ilyasova is in the concussion protocol he's unlikely for wednesday against the trend i actually am going to be very interested in that game to see if the pistons with their the great job that they've been doing running teams off the three-point line can do that with the bucks who are up there among the league leaders in, in three-point attempts and then also Giannis is he are they going to put him on blake griffin we've seen most teams just doubling blake griffin and the pistons can't make him pay but are the bucks going to say hey no we think Giannis can just stop blake griffin or are they going to try and guard him with someone else there isn't really a logical candidate so i think that's actually two uh, pretty interesting teams to match up with one another another interesting matchup on Wednesday gets more compelling if Nicole, Nicole Mirtich was a late scratch against the Clippers in a game that New Orleans lost. He is listed as questionable for their game Wednesday against Dallas. That might just be, you know, when a player misses a game due to an illness that you're just being cautious. I don't know, but New Orleans really needs him because of the effects that it has on the rest of the rotation. They are not a deep team, especially not right now. And his absence was noted in that game in Orlando, the team that dispatched Miami tonight. They did so with the support of Aaron Gordon, who had missed a couple of games with a back issue on the West Coast trip. He played 35 minutes, put up 20 points and 13 rebounds so he's back and finally trey burke suffered a sprained knee over the weekend it is deemed a mild mcl sounds like a grade one mcl that's usually a two-week injury or so I and mean, that's what steph curry famously had back in the 2016 playoffs if you need an analog so you'd imagine it's probably a two-weeker but he's supposed to be reevaluated this weekend at the one week mark and courtney lee is back he actually played 60 minutes and uh was plus 13 in their loss to washington uh tell everyone about your pod with uh, matt moore of course is one of our uh, mutual favorites 
Yeah, so Matt Moore and I did a, a Tears podcast for Real Jam Radio. So laying out, he chose the format before the season of the entire league and then doing it on team quality, not projected record. And so that was probably about two months ago. And we went, we didn't go back and revisit that one, but we did the same exercise again with all of the information that we've learned over these two months. And it was a really fun exercise thinking about, you know, where, where you draw the lines right now, what teams have struggled and you believe in them still, what teams are you ready to cut bait on? And we had a fair amount of disagreements. Matt and I, while we both watch a lot of the league, we see it differently at, at moments. And some of those came to a head, which was fun. I, I enjoy talking with Matt for that reason. So yeah, that's up at, uh, that went up tonight. So you can listen to it whenever you want to. All right, we'll be back uh, tomorrow. Going to finish up uh, our awards, just with some of more of our, our funky awards, surprise team, trends that we're interested in and going to be tracking most disappointing team and player game, dunk of the month, all that stuff. So we'll be back with that tomorrow. Till then.